0: shining a light on autism and life on the spectrum welcome to my friend autism with orion kelly a podcast breaking down barriers stigma and misconceptions around autism and now here's your neurologically different host orion kelly
1: Thanks for listening to My Friend Autism. I'm Orion Kelly, and I'm autistic. But what's critical to understand is that I'm just one person on the autism spectrum. So if you've met one person on the spectrum, well, you've met one person on the spectrum. No two autistic people are the same. We have individual challenges and gifts. My purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education, and growth opportunities through open, honest, engaging conversations on autism. This podcast seeks to break down stigmas and misconceptions around autism while providing real insights into life on the spectrum. My aim is to have open conversations that inform and engage, and ultimately, make the world a better place for autistic people.
0: My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Join the conversation now at the Orion Kelly Facebook page. My Friend, My Friend.
1: Now, on this episode, I want to share with you a fantastic document produced by Amaze. They're a Victorian autism organisation. It's titled, Talking About Autism, Guidelines for Respectful and Accurate Reporting on Autism and Autistic People. Now, you're probably wondering, well, hang on, you know, I'm not a journalist, I'm not in the media, I'm not in the news. But the reason why I wanted to share it with you is because it really is a helpful, fantastic document for anyone looking to learn more about autism. So hopefully this document that I can summarise for you will provide you with with stuff you just didn't know before. Because the way I see it, in order to make the lives of autistic people better, we have to inform and educate people that don't
0: have autism. My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly.
1: So this episode's a little bit different. What's going to happen is I'm going to provide you some of my highlights and summaries from the AMAZE document titled Talking About Autism, Guidelines for Respectful and Accurate Reporting on Autism and Autistic People. And while I'm sharing parts of it that resonated with me, I'll provide some some personal insight, some personal reflections. So I really believe if you would legitimately like to know more about autism, this information is going to be absolutely exactly what you're looking for. It's a fantastic document. So let's get to it. Now, it starts off rebooting everyone's understanding of autism, about autism, okay? So here are the facts from the AMAZE document. Autism is a neurodevelopmental condition that affects the brain's growth and development and has characteristics that appear in early life. This is important. Autism is not an illness or disease. It's a lifelong disability. People are born autistic and remain so all their lives. You can't acquire it later. can't be cured. It is a disability. The term spectrum, well, that's used to describe the range of characteristics and abilities found in autistic people, as well as developmental challenges such as improvement in language ability, which might occur over time. The spectrum does not, repeat, does not refer to a scale of autism severity as no such scale exists. That's really important. And that that goes to the point of the phrases like low-functioning, high-functioning, We'll get to that soon too. No two autistic people are alike. You hear me say this in every episode. Everyone's experiences in autism is different and they have different support needs. However, almost all autistic people will exhibit the following traits in some form. So difficulty with social communication interaction and restricted repetitive patterns of behavior, interests or activities. Autism affects the way individuals are able to interact with other people, and they may find the world a confusing place. For example, for me, the way I see the world is clearly very different to other people. But I guess some of the deficiencies or some of the, the challenges I have with interaction because you probably think, well, hang on, you, know, you, you, you work on the radio, you do podcasts, you interview people, but there's, <laughs> there's different different types of challenges. So for me, non-verbal cues, body language, I guess really the, the tone, um, facial expressions, interacting with other people with uh, more than one person at a time. Those are the kind of things where I, I can tend to struggle. For example, I'm one of those people you would literally have to tell me exactly what you're trying to convey to me for me to understand it rather than you kind of subtly try to hint at what you're trying to tell me, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Now, Autism, it may be present with other conditions. For example, autistic people may also be diagnosed with an intellectual disability. They may have language delay, epilepsy, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, anxiety or depression. Again, for me personally, I have autism and I also have a diagnosis of anxiety, GAD, generalised anxiety disorder. So I do have a, in effect, a coexisting condition. That's me personally. In practical terms, this translates into each autistic person having diverse needs for support in different areas of daily life to enable them to participate and contribute meaningful in their community. Now, even though I've kind of been on radio for forever and I love broadcasting, it's not like I can just easily talk all the time. So I still struggle to say certain words, get them out correctly, understand what i'm trying to say so it it takes time it takes effort it takes work like everything you know good in life and also you know i tend to find that i do better if someone's there for example my wife to help me in social situations as in get her to take the lead if that makes sense now another section i found really interesting in the amaze document was common autism myths now these are fantastic, okay. These are really great myths to debunk here and now. Autism can be cured. There's the myth. The fact is, a May's research has actually shown that this is one of the most common misconceptions about autism. A May's report, 30 to 55% of Aussies agree or are unsure that autism can be cured. Now the fact is people are born with autism and it's a lifelong condition. It cannot be cured or prevented and people do not grow out of it one thing i would say from a personal point of view is if you were talking to five-year-old me i may be a lot more wild than me today and that's because through time i've been able to to learn to grow to find strategies to find ways to and it sounds horrible look, it probably is to find ways to fit in better and that's the main issue What I've got to do is spend my entire day and most of my energy doing the best I can to fit into your world if you're you're not autistic so you feel okay. So I don't come across uh, rude or abrupt when, for me, I'm coming across open and honest. It's obviously very tricky. Autism is a mental illness or disease. Well, that's a myth, another myth. Autistic brains are simply wired differently. There's neurotypical brains and there's autistic brains. Autistic people are not mentally ill, although, as we've talked about, mental illness can commonly co-occur with autism. Autistic people do not have a disease, and autism is not a mental illness. This is a big myth. Vaccines or, interestingly, emotionless parenting cause autism. The fact is there's no specific cause of autism. No specific cause of autism. Okay just doesn't exist. The myth that vaccines, particularly the MMR vaccine, cause autism has long been debunked by medical science. However, for some reason or another, misconceptions remain. A maze research shows that 12% of Aussies agree or are unsure that vaccines cause autism. Still to this day, so it is extraordinary the myths. Another myth, autistic people do not experience empathy. Autistic individuals feel as much if not more empathy than others. From my point of view, I can tell you one of the number one traits that I feel is almost uh, an over, an overabundance of empathy. You might be in a shopping centre, here's an example, and you might see screaming or crying kids and and think, you know, bloody hell, that's annoying, right? You know, shut your kid up, mate, that's annoying. For me, I don't know why, but I feel extremely sad. I feel emotionally affected. I want to hug the child. I, I can't explain it it just so it's one of those things that people I guess don't really realize however autistic people w- may have trouble detecting emotions from unspoken interpersonal communication like body language or tone of voice this is certainly something I can categorically tell you the unspoken stuff the the signals you know the different types of tones and expressions a lot of times it just doesn't Compute to me in the way you'd expect it to to a normal person. I guess there's not many concrete examples I can kind of give you, but I guess one, a couple of examples. One would be if I love talking about a particular thing and I'm passionate about it and I can rant on about it for, you know, 10, 20 minutes. Well, you might start giving me subtle cues five minutes in that you don't want to listen to this anymore. You've had enough of this. I won't see that and I'll just keep talking. (laughs) That's an example. Now, when emotions are communicated more directly, People with autism are much more likely to feel empathy and compassion for others. But they, again, they may express it in ways that are harder to recognize or have trouble expressing it. For me, I always say, you know, if, if there's something you need or like or, or, or want, can you just tell me that? Like, just tell me. And I don't mean that in a rude way. I mean, so I can actually really provide you with what you want. And that can come across a bit strange to people. Again, it's hard sometimes if you feel inside, again, this is my personal experience as an autistic person, I may feel a really strong emotion inside. But then when I come to the actual interaction in reality, I don't convey that. I come across emotionless. I might go, When I see this person, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them a big hug and I'm gonna, you know. Big smile and give them a you know kiss on the cheek or whatever, uh, and you know say this and say that. And when that interaction actually happens, none of that happens. Just a personal experience. Another myth: autistic people are violent. Now, there's no evidence that autistic people are more violent than those without autism. In fact, autistic people are more likely to be the victims of violence than then perpetrators. And if aggressive behaviours are shown by an autistic person, they are most likely caused by frustration physical and or sensory overload or similar issues. These aren't excuses, but I can tell you, again, from a personal point of view, from my experience being autistic, that's exactly what causes me to have outbursts. It's a, a frustration. Someone doesn't understand something I'm trying to explain to them. Someone is not getting it. They're not listening properly. Or, uh, you know, it's just I've walked into a really noisy environment. Potentially it could be a waiting room. For you, a waiting room is a boring place to, to play on your phone. For me, there's potentially a TV going. There might be a radio in the reception area. Now I've got radio playing. I've got a TV in that corner. I've got, you know, kids playing in the play area. I've got adults on their phone talking. Presumably, by the way, I'm not sure why people talk on their mobile phone like they're talking to someone in a different country like Rocky opening the window. You know, you're waiting. I mean... They can hear you, mate. You don't need to yell for goodness. Anyway, so you can see how the overloads come into play. And I think this is a really big myth. Certainly with, you know, crimes and certain things that have happened, we have to look at there's always many and varied reasons behind things happening to just say autistic person violent is just wrong. Another myth that Amaze have listed in their document is only boys are autistic. Well, the current estimated ratio of autistic boys and men to autistic girls and women is three to one. However, girls and women are more likely to be misdiagnosed or diagnosed later than boys and men. I think this is one of the big things, and I'm, I'm not an expert in any respect, but from what I'm reading, I'm finding this is really becoming one of the great challenges, one of the great uh, goals for the uh, you know, autistic community to start to raise their levels and experiences and abilities to avoid misdiagnosis for, for girls, which I think is going to be a fantastic result for those who might have been missed in, in, in previous generations there. Another myth, autistic people are antisocial. Autistic people, they may need support with social skills or interact differently with the world around them, but most autistic people enjoy having friendships and other meaningful relationships. An example I can give you from my point of view is: is I can absolutely come across to people potentially antisocial. Other people might they might find it rude or you think you're better than me or coy or whatever. (laughs) Whatever the words that help you feel better. The fact is, none of those exist. I absolutely love the interaction and interaction with people, with friends, with family. But I feel like there's a couple of things. Number one, there's a warming up period. And in that warming up period, you know, getting I know it sounds strange, but you can you can get off on the wrong foot uh, if someone starts you know a period of interaction really loud just in your face then that's that <laughs> that's that for me for me again my own personal experiences it's not that I'm anti-social it's that the challenges I have with sensory things you know, with with interpersonal things with communication with social interaction when you have all these challenges weighing into actually being social the stakes are higher so it's not like we just don't like you all think we're better than you, it's that it's not just a normal situation. It's a tricky situation. Another myth Amaze have talked about, all autistic people have outstanding talents. An illustration might be, you know, for example, if you drop a pack of matches on the ground, they can tell you how many on the ground or they have extraordinary mathematic skills. Autistic people are suddenly, you know, like just extraordinary, unbelievable at something. Well, the characteristics of autism, vary significantly from person to person. Some autistic people have extraordinary memories, but you know what? Most don't. So that's another myth. That, and It doesn't help anyone anyway. I mean, it's enough to have this ability that challenges the way you live life. It's another thing for people to then think, well, what are you amazing at? What are you amazing at, mate? That's my question. Another myth that Amazer brought up is autistic people are intellectually disabled. Many autistic people also have intellectual disability however others have an iq within the typical range some higher and another myth from amaze is that autistic children need to go to special schools well some autistic students do attend special schools but many go to mainstream schools now the position that amaze are taking is that all autistic students should have access to an education system that provides an inclusive culture and a multifaceted individualized needs-based approach that is tailored to their strengths and unique learning styles. Now, amazing position is fantastic. And I'm absolutely all for it. My experience, again, my own personal experience is number one, I think everyone, every child is entitled to go to the same school as every other child. And I think that's really important because for those wondering, well, why? Well, um, I'm pretty sure once school finishes, you go, you you re-enter the same world. I don't think upon the school bell ringing and finishing, you, there, you then, you know, transport yourself back to the autistic world. I mean, you, please, for God's sakes, we live in the same world. We can go to the same school. As a child, you know, and even now, the way I learn is obviously a lot different. My brain is wired differently. It can't be the same. But also... It manifests in different ways depending on coexisting conditions, for example, anxiety. You know, exams, assessments, the way I hear things, the way I digest things, the way I learn things are all different. Attention span can waver. Your know, ability to listen for long amounts of time, it can be tricky. In the, in, the It can be tricky. So there's the balance between a classroom that may have a completely different teaching style, tailor-made to autistic people, and one that doesn't or a classroom that can have uh, more ratios, teachers to students, or, or a class that doesn't. So it's a tricky situation. But I wholeheartedly agree that one child is entitled to go to a school just as much as as another child. Now, the next section I want to share with you from the AMAZE document titled Talking About Autism, Guidelines for Respectful and Accurate Reporting on Autism and Autistic People is a section called Autism Language. And I think you'll find this really useful for getting your head around some of the phrases you may hear when it refers to autism or autistic people. Now, the first one is Asperger's. Now, here's the thing. I've heard this referred to as Asperger's, Asperger's and Asperger's. You say it the way you want to say it. I'll say it the way I want to say it. You know, I'm different, you're different, we're all different, let's move on. Anyway, Asperger's, Asperger's, it's a form of autism That is usually characterized by high intellect with social and communication challenges and a strong focus on particular interests. And there's also a sensory sensitivity and it's no longer recognized by the DSM-5 as a standalone thing. It's been, it's been placed into the autism category. Okay. Uh, And again, from a personal experience, that's my, that's my diagnosis. So, I mean, so I'm autistic and you know, it would be classed as, I guess, low needs. You'd call it high functioning, but Again, I don't don't think we should refer to it as high-functioning. It's low-needs, and it's disrespectful to say someone's low-functioning. That's ridiculous. They are them, and they have high-needs. So there's a couple of things there. Uh, You know, (laughs) high-intellect, I don't think, though. Uh, But, yeah, anyway, uh, social and communication challenges. Well, clearly we've talked about that. A strong focus on particular interests, (laughs) radio, broadcasting, is in effect pretty much uh, it and my sensory sensitivity well we've talked about that as well so that's that's kind of me that's my story some other autism language from the amaze document so autism spectrum disorder asd this is a group of conditions that includes autism autistic disorder and asperger's asperger's and it can be used interchangeably with autism autistic now this is a big one seriously this is this is something i really want you to try and digest So many people with autism prefer autistic to describe them instead of on the spectrum or with autism. So the preference of identity-first language is becoming more widespread. Let me give you an example. Okay, so I'm a Ryan Kelly and I'm autistic. That is the preferred method as opposed to I'm a Ryan Kelly and I'm living with autism or I'm a Ryan Kelly and I've got autism or I'm Ryan Kelly and I'm suffering from autism. See, it's tricky because I believe the medical field – that's kind of how they're taught. They're taught to say, you know, you're you're you and you have this, or you know, you're living with this or you're suffering from this. In the autistic community, there's a preference for this identity-first language. Okay. I'm autistic. Does that make sense? Now the low, high support needs thing is important to me. The term high functioning, low functioning, mild, they they invalidate the difficulties an autistic person may experience and the terms low functioning or severe may ignore their strengths and capabilities. So again, autism is a spectrum, not a scale. This is part of the AMAZE document. and We're going through some autism language. Have you heard meltdown? I bet if you're a parent and you don't have any autism in your family or your friends, you might sometimes refer to something your child does as a meltdown. And there's nothing wrong with That's fine. But the fact of the matter is, you know, a neurotypical child has tantrums and that they're controllable. Meltdowns, they're very different. They're the result of sensory or information overload, okay, that results in the autistic person becoming distressed and unable to cope. Now, a meltdown is not a tantrum. It is not something that can be controlled. When an autistic child is having a meltdown, As much as, you know, I'm sure the parents absolutely appreciate their family and friends and strangers telling them how to parent. I I mean, they must wake up in the morning and go, geez, I hope more people tell us how to parent our kid today. Geez, that'd be fantastic. As much as they do, it can't be controlled. An autistic person having a meltdown has reached threshold, has overloaded, cannot control it. It is what it is. They are who they are. That is what they is. That's a meltdown. If only I knew that. Before my diagnosis, that would have been fantastic. Anyway, neurodiversity. You've heard me talk about this, the diversity of human brains. So it's similar to other forms of natural diversity, such as ethnic, cultural, sexual, or gender diversity. So the adjective neurodiverse is used the same way one, you know, would use a phrase like ethnically diverse. Neurotypical, you've heard me say this a lot. Okay, so neurotypical, that's a label for people who are not autistic, who are not on the autism spectrum. Sensory sensitivity. We've talked about this. So it's an acute awareness of light, sound, texture, touch, taste, smell. These are all commonly experienced by autistic people. I can give you some personal experiences because this is a very strong part of my autism. Sensory stuff, it's super strong. And I I know I'll forget them. (laughs) I'll give you a couple. So touch, for example. If even my own family, my kids, whatever, my wife, whatever, you know, even just glance Touched me, brushed by me, in in the wrong time, it would be like I would jump, like you know, out of stop that. You've got to stop that. Or I pull their hand away, or pull their foot. away. You've got to stop touching me. Or if my pajama pants were rubbing against my ankle bone, and this sounds ridiculous, but it's it's. This is my own experience of autism. Uh, sounds, certain sounds, you know, airports, those types of places. When it's when it's an overwhelming amount of sounds, you know. For example, I uh, uh, you know I love, and this is so stereotypical in some way, but I love planes, you know, planes and trains and space shuttles and that kind of stuff. Okay. So I love them. I think and that noise, count me in, I'm there. It's a combination of different noises. That's why it's so specific to every single person. Light, well, potentially, I mean, you know, I'm a sunglasses guy, regardless of the weather when I'm out. It's just one of those things. Textures, you know, foods, soft squishy kind of foods i'm not a fan it can make i have like a it basically makes me gag if <clears throat> if that's my if that makes sense well taste is interesting i'm uh, not something that's strong for me but smell is i'm one of those people and again it, it's part of my autism my smell is i, I don't want to say i'm superman but i'm superman <laughs> this i have one of those smells where I'll, I'll ask you know my wife or my family like do you smell that what is that smell now now they d- absolutely do not but it's there, it's just that once they go to the air, oh, this smell, I've smelled it from you know, three rooms away or you know meters away, and it's a weird, strong sense of smell. So that's, that's some examples of some sensory sensitivity that I personally have. Another thing that's big with regards to the autism language is a phrase called stimming. Now, I want to spell this, S-T-I-M-M-I-N-G stimming again this is from the the amaze document which is a fantastic document now stimming is a behavior that many autistic people engage in to calm comfort soothe and regulate themselves when they're they're becoming overwhelmed or anxious when they're reaching starting to reach that threshold i guess a way to break down stimming for, for you know neurotypical people is is fidgeting okay so but it's not fidgeting there's a difference so so for example for me when i am stimming and it's interesting it is a calming thing a calming comforting soothing thing that i'm regulating and it doesn't have to be just being an overload or a threshold if you know for example if i was sitting on the couch watching tv but my mind was thinking of seven different things that are causing me a bit of stress or anxiety i would start potentially playing with my hair rubbing my hair in a weird way okay or if i was watching tv and there was you know how there's logos and ads on the tv screen all the time uh, i would i would kind of trace the pictures or the words or the logos with my eyes fingers or toes and that might sound crazy to you but it's stimming it's a type of fidgeting that i do to soothe myself, I do it driving. In all situations, you know, my fingers might start to move on it, all the different fingers. It just might look like he's a, he's a fidgety person, isn't he? And that's really all it is. But it's called stimming because it's for a reason. It happens in that self-soothing moment. And for me personally, it's super valuable. When I start doing it, I can start to think, oh, okay, something's, something's overloading me a bit here. What, what's happening? You know, I can kind of use it as a, I guess, as like a red flag. And it's really helpful. Now, another fantastic section from this amazing document by AMAZE is Community Attitudes Towards Autism and Experiences of Autistic People. Now, in 2018, AMAZE released the results of two research studies looking at a general awareness, knowledge and understanding of autism and social isolation in Australia. These are just some key findings I found from the AMAZE document. 98% of Aussies have heard of autism Okay, that's that's good. 86% of people have contact with an autistic person. One in five people has an autistic friend. One in four has an autistic relative. Yet, only 29% of respondents said they know how to support an autistic person. I totally believe this, by the way. <laughs> and when the researchers asked the same question to autistic people, only 4% of them believed people in the community knew how to support them. Now, this is why... The information I'm trying to provide in this podcast is so critical. If you've kind of been listening, rewind it, start again. Forward this to your friends. I'm, I get nothing out of this. Send this to your friends. Send this to your family. I want them to understand the reasons, the things behind autism. For this exact reason, people that have autism think four percent of the people they live with in their country could help them in any respect. Is that good? That that's not good. It's as simple as the slightest, slightest bit of knowledge that I can provide you in this, this small little podcast that could drastically change the lives of literally thousands of people. Now, more of the key findings. 52% of autistic people report feeling socially isolated, and 40% of autistic people sometimes feel unhappy to leave their home. Autistic people report high levels of negative day-to-day interactions. 81% have been stared at. 61% have experienced people tutting. I think that's like the, like, you know, when the people go, you know, like, oh, oh <sharp inhale> I don't know, <laughs> something like that. And also shaking their heads, and 48% have been avoided or shunned. Now, Australians overwhelmingly agree that autistic people are discriminated against. 84% agree. And almost 8 in 10 Aussies believe autistic people have difficulty making friends. This is some extraordinary key findings. And again, please, if you can just forward this on to friends and family and say, look, I really encourage you to listen to this. It's just a small, a small nutshell into Autism to give you some sort of understanding and awareness, it will drastically change the lives of autistic people. Another fantastic section from the document, Assessment and Diagnosis. Now, there's just a few points I want to make here. There's significant evidence that many autistic kids can be reliably diagnosed by the age of 24 months. However, many people are not diagnosed with autism until adulthood. Again, my example. As a child, I was not diagnosed. I don't even think I was missed. I wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't something they probably were looking for back then. I don't know. Anyway, I was part of what I can only assume was an entire missed generation. I was diagnosed as an adult. But as I've talked about in this podcast, I was born autistic, okay? It just took me until my adult life to get a diagnosis. As in, I went through the first half of my life not knowing why I felt so different, not knowing why I struggled so much with certain things, not knowing why people's perceptions of me were so different to how I felt as a person. Waiting times for diagnosis can range from one week through to two years with longer waits occurring in the public system and in regional, rural, and remote areas of Australia. Education. We've talked about this briefly. Amaze talking about, you know, the ability for a student to have access to, you know, standard schools. Well, Amaze reported that 97% of autistic students experience educational restrictions. Autistic students are four times more likely to be bullied than other students. Me personally, I was bullied right through primary school. I was bullied potentially through a portion of high school, but not as much in high school as primary school. Primary school quite bad. By the way, when I say bullied, I mean like girls bullied me, you know, not just boys. It was a good mix. <laughs> that's that's a strange that's a strange way of explaining it. Uh, autistic students are significantly more likely than their Typically, developing peers to be suspended or excluded, to suffer depression and anxiety, and to underperform academically relative to their level of intelligence. Again, if you're going to a standardized school and as an autistic person, you have a meltdown, which by the way is an uncontrolled part of your disability, okay? It is something that's part of your disability. You cannot control it. You could be suspended. You could be expelled. Now, this might not be, you might. Think this is a bad example, but if I'm an autistic person and I melt down and get get suspended or expelled from a school, is that any different to expelling a deaf person from the school because they didn't hear something, or a blind person from the school because they didn't see something? I mean, it, it's ridiculous. You couldn't an autistic person having something related to their disability. It's a major barrier, clearly. And again, you must factor in the other considerations, the safety of other students and teachers. Understand. And also the academic performance. I can relate to this. You know, I, in, all, in my studies, I can do amazingly with assessments, as in things you have time to work on, right? But exams, I'm shocking at because, number one, there's a time constraint, there's a pressure constraint. There's a, a very um, structured way of doing it. It's very noisy. Now, you might think, who cares? But after everything I've just told you, do you not think going into an exam hall of a 1,000 kids, banging away at a computer, you know, uh, making all sorts of noise, having people on microphones, you know, come on the microphone, you know, like uh, 20 minutes to go, 10 minutes to go. Like, shut up. I'm trying to think, you know, bells chiming, you know, people leaving other exam halls. I mean... The timeframe considerations, anxiety coming in, your brain thinking about things differently, an inability to maybe concisely convey things, it's utterly ridiculous. It, in effect, I'm the goldfish in the classroom being assessed on climbing a tree. I'm a goldfish. I can't climb no tree. And the last thing I want to point out was 44% of autistic children need more support or assistance at school than they are receiving. And again, it's a balancing act, isn't it? Standard schools, can they afford it? Do they have access to it? But they need it. It's a balancing act. Employment is really interesting. In the AMAZE document, they wrote that in 2015, the unemployment rate for autistic people in Australia was 31.6%. Now, this is three times the rate of people with disability and almost six times the rate of people without disability. And a survey conducted by AMAZE, The Victorian autism community in 2016 found that only 50% of respondents had been able to find employment with 94% reporting they had not received enough support to help them find a job. Employment is tricky. As a member of the community, you want to have a job, you want to make money, you want to enjoy your life. From my point of view, I think what's really tricky at the moment is the ability to actually tell people openly and honestly that you you have autism or you are autistic. And, you know, for different for different people, there's different reasons and, and it doesn't matter. Some people, it's, it can be obvious. Other people, it can't be, but it shouldn't be a barrier. It shouldn't be a barrier to employment. Employees, companies should be able to see autistic people for the richness, the skills and the benefits they provide their organisation and acknowledge the differences and provide them a framework to thrive in there rather than, oh, wow, this person says they've got autism, you know, red flag. Tell them, give, give them a different excuse. So it's, it's really critical, this kind of information. And finally, the last thing I want to just quickly go over from the AMAZE document is with regards to the NDIS, so the Australian National Disability Insurance Scheme. So people with autism account for 29% of NDIS participants. That is the largest diagnostic group in the scheme. In the zero to seven age group, Autism accounts for 50% of all NDIS participants. Now, what's really interesting here, and this is in no way a political statement, this is just a factual remark. Recently, the the federal government of Australia, the Treasurer and the Finance Minister, I believe they reported they're on track to have the, the budget back in the black, you know, the budget back in surplus, no deficit or whatever. I didn't realise, by the way, I didn't realise the government was a business making a profit. I thought it was serving the community. I I must've got that wrong. I didn't realise we voted them in to make a profit. My bad, my bad. Anyway, in effect, they did this in a few ways. One was drastically underspending in the NDIS. Now they can say, well, they spent what was asked for. Listening to those figures, can you imagine how many more autistic kids, autistic families, people with other disabilities could have been served by further funding rather than drastically underfunding in order to say, hey, aren't we good at balancing the books? So there you go, just my opinion. Now, if you'd like to read the AMAZE document, which in no way (laughs) conveys my opinion on the NDIS, you can read the amazing AMAZE document in full. Just visit their website, (laughs) amaze.org.au.
0: My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Online at orionkelly.com.au.
1: Thank you so much for listening to My Friend Autism. I really do appreciate it. And if the episode has resonated with you, please share it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, suggest a topic or area of autism to explore, or just say hi, you can email me orionkelly at gmail.com. You can like the Orion Kelly Facebook page or send me a message via my website, orionkelly.com.au. That's O-R-I-O-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com.au. This podcast is here to break down stigmas and misconceptions around autism while providing real insights into life on the spectrum. Together, we can make the world a better place for autistic people. And remember, once you've met one person on the spectrum, you've met one person on the spectrum. All I'm asking is for you to open your hearts and minds to people a little bit different to you and embrace the benefits of neurodiversity. Until next time, thanks for opening your minds and embracing differences.
0: You've been listening to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. To join the conversation, get in touch with Orion and never miss an episode, like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook or visit orionkelly.com.au.